The Outskirts of Faith podcast is brought to you by Monkey Nut Audiobooks. Creating audiobooks, podcasts and voiceovers that keep people listening. Hello and welcome to the Outskirts of Faith podcast, the podcast that is literally for everyone. Wherever you're joining us, wherever you're on TikTok, wherever you're on Instagram, YouTube or your favourite podcast streaming, you're very, very welcome. This is a podcast for everyone, like I said, simply because this conversation has been going on around 2,000 years and the source of this conversation since the beginning of time. Let's see what's on today's show. Our responsibility is to turn and to open up those hands of faith and say, I know I got to fix this, help me fix it. Faith is in a particular church or your faith's in a particular author, then your faith's in the wrong place. How does my faith actually really inform what I'm doing and how I think about how the world is treating me right now? The core beliefs that make us who we are by definition Christian, that's a constant. So today I'm joined by a great guy, Gabe Wicks from Nashville, Tennessee, who is the Vice President of Creative Services at HarperCollins Christian Publishing, like I said, in Nashville, Tennessee. Gabe, you are very welcome here today. How are you? I'm great, Elliot. Thanks for having me on. So it's very interesting talking to you because you work with an abundant amount of different Christians over there at HarperCollins Christian Publishing. Do you find that there are many different walks of life that people take, but they're all getting to the same place eventually? Yeah, I think there's a lot of that. It's funny you bring that up. I uh, Earlier in my career, I worked in another publisher. This is 23, 24 years ago. And it was focused on just one denominational group. And I found it really irritating. I wasn't in that group to start with. It made me very cynical. And then when I moved over to what used to be called Thomas Nelson Publishers, it's now Harper Christian, the focus was so different. And we really try to publish the whole breadth of the church. And what I found in being in that environment, I get all these different perspectives of people in their different faith walks and their different denominational standings or political standings. It's great. It's, it, to me, it's made the church a lot bigger place and much more interesting. Something I feel like I can be part of a lot more too, I guess. I think that's great. And I, I love that we jumped on that straight away because it's a point that I try to make regularly on the Outskirts Faith podcast. And that's quite simply, you know, it doesn't matter what door you go through. There is a door for you and we all get to the same place. And we're all actually on the same page, even though it may feel there are those slight differences. Do you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think there's a lot of room within the church. I think we, we're given a lot of freedom and that's that's probably by design. It's a refreshing thing when you really embrace it. It kind of helps you get away from maybe more of a legalistic standpoint. So when you're, let's just say an author comes over to you and they've, you know, they've got their book, is it quite clear or do they discuss what angle of the church or their faith that they come from? Or is it your job to kind of decipher that? Or does it not come into play at all? It varies a lot. I mean, we, we're a large publisher. We, we do, you know, literally thousands of titles a year. And some of them will not even really have a religious aspect at all. They're really the, the only the only way that faith even plays into it is it's just the framework that that author lives in. And so it'll show up in different places. You know, you'll you'll get a a taste of someone's ethics when they're relating a story or or, or something that they mentioned in passing that makes you go, oh, that could they're actually a Christian. But it's not something that's that overt. On the other hand, we do seminary textbooks which are extremely specific theologically and may even be 
for just a specific stripe of theological thinking or maybe presenting just a particular view, and they, they do have to spell that out. And then everything in between. We have the pleasure, Monk and Audubits, to record a lot of Christian books from a variety of different people. Why do you think it's so important for people to write down their journey, to write down their story, and to give people their view on things from their relationship with God? I'd have to relate that to kind of what the pastor at the church I attend does. One of the things that drew me into this fellowship, I've I've been there now since I guess 2006, but we go through a chapter of scripture a week. But at the end of that chapter, we dedicate time to looking at literally 2,000 years of Christian thought about that passage we just looked at. And we might look at, you know, what did St. Augustine say about it, you know, at this point, 1,700 years ago? And we might look at what did uh, Max Licato write about it in a book 15 years ago and everything in between. And the power to that is you can look at 2,000 years of witness where people are arriving at the same conclusions or, or you can see, you know, I can go back and look at someone like John Donne or Augustine, I just mentioned, and say, you know, they're bits and pieces of their life journey and their faith journey that aren't that dissimilar from mine. And there's power in that. You know, that's that's really a, I guess that's where the community of witness, you know, kind of comes into play. And there's a comfort to that. It's interesting. I was talking to a chap called Steve Holloway, who's an author, and he was on the, the show as well. And we were actually talking about how young we are as people following the New Testament. If you think, like mm. in the great scheme of the years and, and the life of, say, the planet, for example, let's just say the planet, then if you think of it like that, then, you know, 2,000 years is nothing at all. But what we find, though, is that where we've now got, what, like 2.5, 2.8 billion Christians on the planet, that is actually moving at incredibly fast pace in just a very, very short period of time. We're actually in the infancy stage of kind of post-New Testament. And in many ways, we are the continuation of the apostles. So that's still reaching out to people now. But what I find really interesting is that what you're saying is that back then, okay, those teachings, what we learn, what we gain from having a relationship with Jesus is kind of in many ways no different to what we got now. And would it be no different to what it would be like in a thousand years? It's just the development of the Christian faith and how the word gets out. Yeah, the theology doesn't change. The core beliefs that make us who we are by definition Christian, that's a constant. It's the forms that that shows up in that have changed. It's its the way that we do corporate worship. It's the way we interact with with the world, with, with media, with books, with the public at large. I mean, th- these are the things that constantly change. Yeah, again, I think that was by design. There's a book that came out years ago, and I, I forget who the author was, but he made this point about, can you imagine if a night of the Crusades walked into a modern Protestant worship service. He would think everyone in there was a heretic. The swords would go flying. And what's interesting is that the, you know, the basic core beliefs have not changed in that time. But just think about how foreign what we're doing now would look to someone, you know, if it takes that long for the Lord to return, someone two or three hundred years from now. What would they think about how we do it now versus what do we think about people in, you know, in the Renaissance? It's always in flux. It's very interesting, isn't it? Now, Gabe, there's going to be a lot of people who could be listening to this and they may be on the start of their journey or they may just have an interest, you know, 
And one thing I think is good to cover here is that now you work with lots of different books, lots of different opinions, lots of different views. So could that ever be confusing for someone who's trying to build a relationship with Jesus? And if, for example, so I always say, if you go to a church and it doesn't feel right for you, it doesn't mean that church isn't right for you. It just means that you need to try a different church. So if they did a bit of research and they picked up a book, not a HarperCollins book, of course, but let's just say they picked picked up a book, they opened it up and they're like, oh yeah, but you know, I don't know, that's not really me. Could that be quite confusing for someone and how would they deal with that? Sure. It's, uh, there's a perspective you have to keep in mind. And this sounds very cynical, but it's not. It's just the way that we should approach things. Every church is wrong about something. Every author is wrong about something. Right. Pretty much most churches and most inspirational authors are right about something as well. We have to have a yardstick that we're using when we're taking in all this information. You know, the scripture is really the best yardstick we've got. And so at any time that something that we're reading or something that we're seeing in a church that it runs counter to what we think we've seen in scripture, that should make you question. But it's a dangerous proposition to decide that you're really allied with the writings of this one author or you're you're really aligned with this one church, you know, at the expense of everything else. Because if your faith is in a particular church or your faith's in a particular author, then your faith's in the wrong place. Your faith has to be in Christ. And then all these other influences are just that. They're outside influences that should help bolster that faith. But you can't have your faith in those institutions or or it's going to fail you, ultimately. I'm really glad you said that. I agree with you 100%. I want to say to the listeners right now that there is a constant though. That's the beauty of it is that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, it's really good to educate and, and to learn and to develop. And I really urge you to do that. The same with like the Bible, you know, one, I haven't read all the different translations, you know, but there is certain translations that speak to me, say more than, than another one would, but there is a constant. And that is that there is a friend, there is a father and there is love for you. There is someone who you can always turn to fundamentally, we all have that flame within us, which can just be fueled by the Holy Spirit. And you can call upon that at any time. And I think, Gabe, it's just really lovely that through all of our earthly opinions, it's just nice knowing that if it ever got too crazy, we can just say, Lord, I know you're there and I'll just hang on to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Gabe, have you ever found yourself on the outskirts of faith? And what I mean by that is, have you ever found yourself being pulled there or questioning? Or have you ever seen anyone or witnessed that? And what did that look like? Two times in my life in particular come to mind. One was in college, actually. I uh, I grew up in a very strict religious household. I think a, uh, you know, for better or worse, very much married to a particular denominational train of thought. And it was something that when you're when you're raised in it and you have a hard time separating the denomination from your actual faith. Can I interrupt you there? Could you just explain for the listeners what you mean by denomination, just in case there's anyone sure, thinking about something? A, a particular particular stripe of the church, you know, Baptist or Methodist or Anglican or what you know, that's what I mean by denomination. Thank you. And okay. so in my case, my whole family was in this one particular stripe of the church, had been for generations. We had multiple ministers that had come up through that church and had, had led congregations and 
And so it's very heavily invested in that one train of thought. Well, the problem is some groups believe that their particular view on theology is the only way, you know, and so they're right at the expense of everybody else being wrong. And so I, I was very much raised that way. I got to college and uh, for the first time, I'm away from my family. I'm, I'm away from some of those influences. And I started doing a lot more reading for myself. And I found that I was really at odds with some of the things I'd been taught. And so it was a, uh, it was a hard time. I came very close to walking away from the whole thing just because it's, you know, if, well, gosh, if this part of what I was taught was wrong, then is all of it wrong? You know, and so the, you, you kind of start rebuilding it. At that point, there was a, a guy who, he was actually the, I went to Vanderbilt University here in Nashville, and there was a, a man who was, was actually the head of one of the engineering schools over in the medical school. And he happened to lead a thought group of other college students that I was part of. And I came to really respect the guy. He just, he was, he was brilliant, had this, this amazing mind, had an extremely deep faith, along with being just this top-notch scientist, top-notch professor. And so I just, you know, I was very intrigued by him. And he made a comment to me one time, just in talking over coffee, he, he said, you know, he said, I, I think sometimes we worship the Bible instead of worshiping God. <laughs> and it just, it floored me. It, it was offensive. I, and when he said that, I just thought, oh man, that, that's wrong. That's horrible. And the more that I thought about it and the more it worked on me, the more I thought, oh man, he's right. And I, I look back now at that being kind of a point where to me, it changed the paradigm and I started looking at my theology and the theology of, of what I'd grown up with in a very different light. I kind of started rebuilding from that point. That was a big one for me. The other one, I'll, I'll be shorter in recounting, but I went through a, a very painful divorce a long time ago. And it was, I'd, I'd married my childhood sweetheart. We were married 13 years and she decided that she'd had enough and she packed up and left. At the same time, she, uh, she walked away from her faith. And uh, just everything about what I thought I knew about her changed. And it left me in pretty bad shape. I, I was, you know, emotionally very much of a wreck. Had a child that was caught in the middle of this, which was uh, a very painful thing. And financially left me pretty much in ruin. And so that was a very bleak period. Thankfully, I, I didn't lose my faith at that point. I actually, um, in the middle of that, found the, the church that I'm still a part of, which was a great help. But what was amazing to me to look back on is within a couple of years of that, I saw the redemptive power of God very much at work because everything that was lost, I got back. You know, I got remarried to a wonderful woman I've been married to now longer <laughs> than, than the first time around. I, uh, God blessed me with two more children. My oldest child survived all that as a strong Christian, has maintained his faith. And even something as basic as, as our finances, it took a couple of years, but things happened that were completely redemptive where I regained everything that was lost in those uh, in those years. So it's, yeah, I, I felt like those were some times where you, you have to sit back and question really, what is my relationship with God? How does my faith actually really inform what I'm doing and how I think about how the world is treating me right now? It's a crossroads. You can either lean on that faith that helps you get through that, or you can just kind of chunk it and go on your own. And uh, and plenty of people take that route as well. Well, Gabe, first of all, thank you so much for sharing that that story as well. And for your honesty, I really pre and I think a lot of listeners will appreciate your honesty there as well. But something that really stood out to me there was relating back to when you were saying about the 
worshipping the Bible instead of God. And one thing that really stood out to me there was sometimes, like, Scripture's fantastic, and we need Scripture, and we we learn from Scripture, and it in so many different ways. And then, and I'm not going to go too deep into that now because we do a little bit each time in, in the podcast. But sometimes you just got to lean on the Father. And what I think is amazing about your story is that when you went through those times, it wasn't actually at that time about the Scripture necessarily. And it wasn't about the learning that you had from church. It was just about me saying, do you know what? I'm in your capable hands and I'm here and this is happening, but I'm putting my faith in you. And that's really difficult to do. And there's going to be a lot of people listening to this going, well, do you know what? That is difficult. How do I do that? But I've heard stories and it's happened in my life and your life and proven over and over again that when you do do that and you really connect with God and you pray to Jesus and you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, Small miracles do happen, and that relationship builds and builds. And like a loving father, you do get taken care of. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've seen it in other people's lives as well. I had a a very close friend growing up who just could not make the leap to dedicate his life to Christ. He believed it. That's the thing is in talking to him, he, he believed, but he wouldn't make the commitment. And he would tell me that, he thought there was too much in his life he needed to get right first. It was like he had to fix himself. And so he wasn't accepting the idea of grace. He was thinking there's this checklist of things that I've got to do to get right to, I guess, to, to make myself worthy before I'm okay to make that commitment to God, right? Interesting. And we would talk about this, and this went on for up until our 20s. And as it turned out, he ended up going to Budapest, Hungary. He taught English over there for a year. He came back to the States after a few months. He called me up. And he said, I just want you to know, uh, I'm going down to the church right now. I've, I've called the minister up and uh, I'm going to be baptized tonight and I'm going to make a formal dedication to Christ. And he said, I've been the most godless place I've ever seen for the last six months. It's made me realize this is what I need. And so he did that. He made this great commitment. It's a public declaration of faith. A bunch of us showed up for his baptism that night. It was awesome. Well, what's amazing is he went from that to uh, he passed away from cancer two years later. And I look at his witness that last two years, just this has been 30 years ago almost. And to this day, people talk about him and people talk about his witness and and just what an incredibly positive Christian he was. And I think, wow, can you imagine, you know, that not being in the world if he had not accepted the grace that Christ puts on offer to us. You have to accept that grace before you can truly have that relationship. Yeah, that, that's a very powerful story, a very powerful story. And it's funny that he was saying that, um, what was his name? Shannon, his name was Shannon. It was interesting, he was saying like, almost came across like he's not worthy. Well, you know, are any of us, you know, it's like, Exactly. I, I, I look at myself and I just look at some of the things that I've done through the years and, and sometimes do now and I'm just like, oh, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, you know. And it doesn't matter. Like there's a, a you, you know this guy, Michael Emmett, yeah? Mm-hmm. And he's going to be coming on the show soon, actually. But he does one of my favorite lines and I say it as often as I can to as many people as I can. 
and uh, he's got he's got a proper voice like this. And he goes, uh, he goes, Jesus loves the gutter. Jesus loves the gutter. I was interviewing him one day, and he said that. And what I take from that is, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you're doing, what you've done. You can always repent. You can always say sorry. You can always say sorry. And it's very easy to do. You can say like, and I've probably been guilty of this sometimes where I've sort of said it because I felt like I should say sorry, but it was probably a few days later I actually felt it, you know. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. But when you do truly feel it, God knows, God knows your heart. And it's done and you can draw a line on that and move forward. And I think that there is so much comfort in that. But I want to stress that, you know, if you're going to say it, it's got to come from the heart because you can't lie from the heart. None of us are worthy. Those of us that are saved are still not worthy. I'm unworthy every day that I'm taking a breath. And I need to be in a repentant mindset every day. You know, God is constantly working on us and constantly perfecting us. And it's never going to be done. Mm. But it's that act of, of, for a moment, taking stock of where you're messing up, where your attitude's wrong. And turning from that. And all it takes is you turning and saying, God, I'm sorry. This is something I want to do better about. And then he he fills the rest of that gap. It's not up to us to then perform. You know, he's going to work on us and we're going to perform. But that's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is to turn and to open up those hands of faith and say, I know I got to fix this. Help me fix it. Do you know, I want, I want to really stay on that. I just want to sort of put like a massive hallelujah sort of stamp on that because let's just go back over that. Stop and just say, I'm sorry. How powerful is that? You can do it right now if you're listening. If you're listening and you think, you know what, there's some stuff, I really sucked at that, you know, but you can just stop and just say, and you know what, you could even do it. If you're listening to this on the tube or subway or on a bus or driving or, you know, you've got your mates next to you or something like that, you can just do it. Just open up your heart and just say, for that, I messed up. I'm sorry. Help me out. And you know what? If you've never prayed in your life, well, welcome to the club. Congratulations. You've just done a prayer. You've done a a prayer of (laughs) saying sorry and asking for forgiveness. And you know what? It will be heard. And if you follow that up with another prayer, the same prayer later on, you're committing and wonderful things will happen. And don't give up. Just keep doing it. And even if you just feel like 0.1% of a bit of relief, that 0.1 will go to 0.2. It will then go to 1. It will then jump to 5. It will jump to 15 and so on. So I think that was really amazing what you said there. Now, I'm looking forward to asking you this question because for somebody who works with so much scripture and for somebody who works with so many opinions of the same scripture, because people do look at the same bit and like take their own thing from it, I've asked you to choose a bit of scripture for us today and I'd love you to read it to us. Tell us why you chose it and what does it mean to you? Mm, Okay. It's hard for me to really zero in on, you know, favorite pastors, it, it changes with time. You know, I, I think as, as we mature in our faith, there's different parts of scripture that mean more to us than others. I tend to lean 
pretty heavily on the gospels just because I, I, I feel like everything else is based around that. You know, if someone, I heard a preacher one time say, if you, uh, if you read something in one of the epistles, you know, Paul or Peter or John, and you can't find a corollary in the gospels, you're not reading it closely enough. You haven't studied it right. <laughs> I think there's truth to that, but I'm, I'm going to break my own rule here because that this passage at the end of the eighth chapter of Romans has always spoken to me. And it just, the older I get, the more it means. For I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Yeah. I take that as, gosh, if you could put hope on a poster, it's that verse. To me, it's the ultimate expression of grace. It, it is that as long as my direction is towards Christ and my intention is to follow Christ. There's nothing that's going to separate me from him. Ultimately, I get to be with him. I get to be in his presence, in the presence of God. And there's nothing that can derail that as long as I have that belief and I have that focus. And there's, there's a great comfort in that, that that takes a lot of pressure off, you know, yeah. there's uh, cause I'm going to screw up today and I'm going to screw up tomorrow. But at the end of the day, that doesn't matter because I, I know ultimately where I'm going. I really hope that people listening to this are really picking up on that. And the fact that we're just saying here, you know, we're screwing up all the time, but we can take comfort in that. And I think there are lots of people who want to have a relationship with Jesus, especially when they see what other people are experiencing when they are having a relationship with Jesus. And I feel like I want to say right now that you've already got one. You've got the start of it because no matter what, you've got a friend, right? No matter what. But when you turn to Jesus and you develop that and you think to yourself, right, I'm going to dive into the scripture here and I'm going to just read a few of the parables or read a few accounts here and there. There is so many worse ways you can live your life than by following in his footsteps. You know, if it's like, follow me, you know, so if he's saying like, follow, follow me, do you know what? If it's a life like that, if it's a case of that much love and that much care and that much understanding, then yes, let's do that. But if you listen to this, don't be afraid to think, oh, that means I have to sort of dive in and then I have to grab, have someone grab my head and chuck me under a swimming pool and do all of that stuff. It's not about that. It's little steps. It's little pigeon steps to get there. And within what you were saying there, Gabe, I love what you've chosen because I feel like on a core level, it's just a beautiful, A, starting point that people can go from, and B, it's something people can turn to at any time as well. And I, I absolutely love Paul's conviction in that statement. The fact that he begins by saying, I'm convinced of this. I mean, Paul was a very, very well-educated man you know, for the era. I mean, this is someone who studies under someone who studied under Plato. He's at the absolute top of his game as a, as a Jewish lawmaker and defender of the law. I mean, this is this is a very intelligent individual who got knocked to his knees literally by the intrusion of Christ into his life. You know, and for him to a couple of years later, after he's been imprisoned, he's been beaten, he's given up everything about this grand life that he was leading to say, you know, at the end of the day, what's important is I'm convinced that the love of Christ and the access to God through Christ is the thing that we are not going to be left without. 
That's the thing that we can hang on to. Everything else can go away, but we've got this promise and I'm convinced of it. That's pretty powerful. That, that cool. helps me to be convinced. Yeah. I love that. And I hope it helps uh, you guys as well if you're listening to this. Now, Gabe, it's now come to... What does it mean? I really don't have a clue. That's correct. What does it mean? I really don't have a clue. And the way this comes about is that there are so many words which are so easily spoken about. Words that pop up, but they actually, in many ways, put a barrier up. Because you'll hear people talking and and some people might think, oh, I don't really know what that word means, or I think I do, but people might judge me on my opinion for it. So what we're trying to do is just address some of those words. So if a conversation does come up, you can have an opinion and people can have feel like they can join in that conversation, have an opinion, talk about it with their friends and maybe have a little bit more of an understanding or just a trigger of an understanding of what it means to them. So I've given you a word for this week and that word is hope. Now the word hope comes up a lot. I think it comes up a lot in church as well. What does hope mean and what does hope mean for you? There's so much wrapped up in it. Hope is so closely related to the word faith that I, I have a hard time separating the two. Yeah, uh, I see that. Hope is the point. It's the point of all of this, really. You can work your way into a system of faith based on historical study, right? You can say plenty of evidence that the person Jesus of Nazareth walked on this earth, and there's plenty of evidence that this human life had more of an impact on the history of the planet than any other person who's walked before or since. Well, that must be significant. Okay, well, if that's significant, then let's look at what he said about himself and about the world. And and you can kind of walk your way into faith that way. But at the end of the day, it's a fairly hollow way to, to base your beliefs. What's missing from that is hope. What's missing from that is this idea that not just this historical importance to this person of Jesus, but that because of who he says he was, we have hope in this fact that then gives us this promise at the end of it all, that it's not just historical significance, it's eternal significance. We can hope for that. We can base our faith on that. I'm rambling on this now. (laughs) No, you're not rambling. You're not rambling. No, I see where you're coming from. Because I think hope is a word that people can use on an everyday, you know, I I hope... uh, you know, I hope I hope I get a new microphone, you know, or I hope I get this or, you know, I hope I get a new bike for Christmas, you know, it's, uh, it's that. But it's tricky, isn't it? Because hope can also contradict belief as well. I hope that this happens. Well, if you say hope of one day, like say the return of Jesus, for example, or something, you know, keeping it very, very simple, then you've got like, well, that's contradicting the belief that that's going to happen or... It's like with Amazon, for example. You can't, you don't say, I, I hope that Amazon will, will deliver this package for me. You have a belief in that as well. So with hope, I'm confused with this one. I'm going to be honest with you. Because it's a word that's used so much. But in many ways, I feel like it's... How did you describe it at the beginning? It's the... It's the point. It's the point. It's the point yeah. of everything. It is. It's... Uh, Anytime you see the word hope in, in New Testament scripture in particular, I feel like you can you can almost replace that word with belief. Yeah. When the writers say, we have this hope Point. that this is going to get, you can really substitute the word belief. 
Yeah. And if you don't have that, if you don't have the hope, there's no point in much of anything else. There's absolutely zero point in trying to live a godly, Christ-centered life unless there's hope that at the end of that, it wasn't just an exercise in futility. Do you know what I feel uh, like I want to do? I'll tell you what I feel I want to do, Gabe. I feel like I want to take hope and in many ways kind of get rid of it. What I mean by that is, is that you say, oh, let's have hope. Well, I would much rather say I have belief. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that was such, and, and thank you because you've helped me because I've struggled with this. I've been thinking, oh, I wonder what you'll say about hope. Because when you break down hope, it's very easy to sort of like say, well, in many ways, hope kind of feels like, I hope I don't, that means I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily certain. And I think there is a place for hope. I really do think there is a place for hope. But it's not like, I hope God will listen to my prayers tonight. Or I hope that God will send me the Holy Spirit because I, I believe that he will. I, I, I know that. You see, so I think you're absolutely right. And I'm really glad you answered this question because it's the point. Hope is the point. Yeah, I think that's very well made. Well done. That's that's great. I think what hurts us is a, it's a word that we've trivialized over the years. It's kind of like the word love. Love is, is a very cheap word these days. I happen to love this phone <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, because of some of the features, but I also love my children. And I use that same word to describe <laughs> both of those. And that's just kind of messed up, really. Yeah, and, my, uh, I mean, my children the same way. My children's kind of related to a good slice of cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But you, know, you, you look at Scripture, look at how the word hope is used in Scripture, and it's not trivial. It's never trivial. It's never, gosh, I, I hope it's not going to rain today. When the, the writers of Scripture were using the word hope, it had a whole lot more weight. I think if we look at it in that light, that it's never meant to be an insignificant term. It's never supposed to be a just throwaway word. It has a lot of weight and a lot of meaning to it. It'll change how we think about hope. I'm actually going to write some stuff down here because uh, I think I'm just going to write hope here on, on the old iPad. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that it's worth going back over scripture or actually asking what did hope mean then to how we use it now? And we may find that there is, like with new translations, there may actually be a different word now, which is like a different translation, which would be mm -hmm. much better suited than how the word hope was used then. So if we're using hope now, we might actually be diluting the word hope from back in the, back right. in the scriptures. Wow, do you know what? This yeah, is, th this is... Yeah, wow. I wasn't expecting that. This is when I, I, I wish that uh, I read Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek and all those there. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's like with the, I was joking about the word love, but you know, the, the Greeks had what, five different versions of love. And in the English Bible, they're all translated as love. Well, actually, <laughs> you know? well do you know what? That, that's interesting because I'm going to talk about actually, I'm gonna, actually, it's a Harper audiobook, The New Testament for Everyone by Tom Wright, mm -hmm. or aka mm -hmm. N.T. Wright. I was talking to Tom about this book, and he was saying about how he reads the, the, you know, like the ancient Greek manuscripts, things like that, because obviously he can. But I said to him, what are we missing in the modern, you know, translations? And he said, well, originally it was written so beautifully, so perfectly. It was so perfect 
you know, you're saying about like the different words and everything. It's so perfect that it was like this wonderful piece of music played on this glorious orchestra where the modern day translations are the same fantastic piece of music, but played extremely beautifully on the piano, you mm. see. And so I then sort of came up with the whole concept that we are the instruments and we need to make the orchestra by talking about it. But one thing that he did say is that it's very, very important that there are new translations and new ways of talking about things so every generation can kind of understand it in their way. So it has to evolve. And that sort of goes back to what I was saying before about it's only sort of like 2,000-ish years old and it's in the infancy sort of stage that we can be progressing, you know, because language does change. But it Absolutely. does... It certainly, I think, rings true. And I feel like I'm so so happy that we use the word hope because uh, it certainly helped me today. That It does make me wonder, you know, is hope one of those words where it could be perhaps substituted in modern day with a different word to explain the weight of what it meant back then? Thanks, Gabe. That's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Okay, so where have you seen say, God working recently, you know, with a lot going on in the world right now, you know, it's, it's very easy to mm. divert our eyes elsewhere. But where have you seen God working? I've gotten to be around a few authors in the last year or two that uh, have opened my eyes to something happening that I, I don't think is getting, well, it wouldn't get a lot of press. It's just one of those things that would be discussed in certain, you know, circles of, of the church, I guess. But these guys are all focused on working in the Middle East and specifically in some of the more oppressed areas like Syria and Iraq and Iran, they keep telling these stories and a lot of them really haven't made into books. These are, you know, these are anecdotal stories that they're, they're not really putting it in in printed form, but there's something happening in the Middle East. And here's interesting. The, The common theme is that there are people within the Muslim world who are having dreams and visions of Christ. And it's a common occurrence. And it's something that it doesn't happen in the Western church. I mean, when's the last time that you talked to someone, you know, in, in your local faith circle that said, yeah, I had a dream the other night that, you know, Jesus was talking to me. It doesn't happen, but it's happening to the people these guys are ministering to. It's happening a lot. And there's something significant to that. So I, you know, I don't know where it's leading. I don't know what it signifies, but I think it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a it's a modern movement of the Holy Spirit is the only way you can put it. Well, you know, Gabe, I just got a load of goosebumps on my arm because uh, an earlier podcast, I was actually interviewing somebody who actually works with Muslims who are turning to Christianity. Really? And cool. we yeah. were actually talking about what that looks like and as what, exactly what he was explaining. And where he works, he doesn't go out looking for this. You know, he doesn't go up to people and say, hey, you want to be a Christian? It's not about that. This is people who are approaching him. And approaching others, yes, this exactly. is just happening. Then a lot of it is happening with visions and lots of other stories as well. And uh, uh, he's, a, he's a wonderful man. If you want to check it out, it's um, at home. It's uh, the episode with Steve Holloway. However, it's really, really interesting. And it does go back to what I was saying before, that if you imagine 2.5, 2.8 billion people turning to Christ in such a small timescale, you know, in like less than 2,000 years. That is incredibly fast. So it doesn't surprise me at all that other areas are picking up sort of pace. And that's just kind of happening because, you know, who are we to say how it, what God's plan is? You know, I, I don't know what that plan is. But 
you know, I've got I've got some really good friends who are Muslim and from different faith, and you know, they're they're the most wonderful people in the world, and you know, they talk about God a certain way, and but it, God's God, right? God's God, but I do certainly agree with what you're saying, and there is a shift, there is a movement, there is something happening naturally. And do you know the beauty of this is it's happening through love. Mm-hmm. There are repercussions from people who are turning to the Christian faith, say from a Muslim community, for example. You know, that's quite difficult for some people to to, to actually say, look, well, you know, I know it's so real. I know it's so real that I'm doing this. That's quite hard for a lot of people around them. But, you know, but we continue, you know, we pray and we continue praying that will just get easier and more the more people will come to know Christ because how great to live in a faith of love and loving your neighbor. How great is that? And, you know, these, in some of these areas, these folks are, are dealing with persecution that we, we don't even know how to comprehend, you know, no. places like Yemen and Turkey. And, no. you know, I hope that where this leads is there's a day where Christians in those nations can live peaceably calmly and not worry about their personal safety and their family and you know and that that they could enjoy some of the freedoms that we do do you know if you're uh, if your prayers at home listening to this if your prayers just just do a little prayer for that because uh i completely agree and i'm not even going to pretend to think i understand or i know or even have like one percent knowledge of it i hear what i hear and i don't even push it with that conversation i i i find it fascinating and i think it's really interesting what's happening and my prayers go out to everybody but we have no idea no idea mm-hmm. but you're right it's it's incredible that like the visions and things like that that's going on okay gabe it is now time for splat the gnat yes it's now time for splat the gnat so the whole point of this gabe is the simple fact being that people go through a lot of different things on different days and and torment and negativity or anger or whatever you want to call it can get in the way from leading, uh, having a loving day, a loving life in, in the name of Jesus. And it's so interesting how easy it is to actually say, do you know what? That little gnat that's flying in front of me and I'm swatting, say, so go away and it keeps flying back in your face. You know, it's very easy just to say, well, do you know what? You've got no power over me. I'm going to swat that. I'm going to hand that to God. And I'm going to say, you know, I know that's not gone. I know it's not going any, anywhere. It's got to be dealt with. But you know what? I've got a friend. I've got some support here. And I'm going to hand that to you. And you take care of that while I'm getting on with my day. And then with a clear head or a clearer head, we can deal with that together. So, Gabe, if you could splat anything in the world and hand that to God and say, let's just deal with that, what would you splat today? Oh, gosh. So are we talking about small items or are we talking about big items? It can here? be literally whatever you want. I won't even give you any examples, but I've had everything. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, you know, I, I saw something in the last 24 hours that uh, that was was good. And, you know, you and I are friends. You you know some of the stuff that goes on in my, in my personal life. And I, I've, uh, I've gone through this uh, really awful period of trial the last couple of days with my computer not working. I, I did not pick and, up on. You know, I did not pick up on that on t- at all, Gabe. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, not at all. No, it's it, no. It's been it's been. I mean, honestly, it's been nothing short of crippling. I feel like there are times, you know, we 
there's there's all these great examples in scripture that that you know we should be praying for wisdom we should be praying for patience we should be praying for grace you know there are things i i do try to practice but then the thing that we don't look for sometimes is where are those things coming from yeah and true, so true. uh <laughs> so i've i've had this you know i've had this this computer problem for days and it, it literally has crippled my world for about the last four or five days and last night i'm complaining to uh this guy at the office about it who who does some tech work for us and i'm I and feel I, like I just, sorry to interrupt yeah, but, you. I just feel like I should say to everybody that it got to such a stage where I was replying because we were supposed to have a little chat last night, weren't we? And I got to a stage where I read your emails and I, th- I I think I wrote back to you and said, "Do you know what? I'm not even going to try and write back something funny because it just yeah. must be awful for you." <laughs> right. I, I value our friendship too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was complaining about this and it, just in a text to this guy at at work and and he says again yesterday my email wasn't working at all. I mean literally I was I was to the point and there were you know just mountains of email. I could see them piling up in the inbox and I couldn't respond to them. And it's just, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to take forever to, to dig out of. And this one little exchange, this guy says, oh, did, did you know that we have this little feature where we can actually bypass our email server and, and, and approach it from an online environment, not to go through any kind of app on your computer? Like, no, I had no idea you could do this. And within 30 seconds, it was like I was back in business. I, I could, you know, and I, I was working far too late last night trying to catch up. But, but there was a joy in that moment. But it's yet to to the point of the exercise here. Something that should just be a small little annoyance that completely just derailed my day, my almost my week. Uh huh. And God provided some very basic, simple bit of wisdom from somebody else that I was totally unexpected and it changed the whole outlook. And then they fixed my computer this morning. So that's, that's good too. <laughs> so how would you describe that? What would you splat? I would splat the fact that we are married to our technology. We literally cannot function without it. And, uh, and we're, we're prisoner to it. Absolutely. And I love the fact that you talked about wisdom, but you didn't talk about wisdom for yourself. You talked about wisdom for the person surrounding it who was able to fix that for you. And I think when it comes to prayer as well, it's something which I've come to learn over the past few years is that, you know, it's all very well praying for this and the other, but to pray for the people surrounding a situation, because they're the ones who are usually going to be able to help in that situation, you know. Um, No, that's a really good one. Now, we always finish off with three questions. All right. And the way this works is it's just, you know, it's usually from scripture and I ask you a question and then you answer it as best you can. And it's just a little bit of fun education for me, education for other people. On audio, it sounds like I'm a, 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 you know, a whole world of knowledge here from the scripture. Truth is, I've got it on my iPad in front of me, which you'll see if you're watching any of the video versions. So what's going to happen is I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to hear a little bit of sound with about eight seconds where you can think about your answer. And at the end of that, you can give your answer. Is that good? Okay. Okay, here we go. How many days did God take to create the world? All right, and feel free to uh, expand on this answer. How many days did God take to create the world, Gabe? Well, Genesis would have us believe that it was six days of actual labor and one day of rest. 
That's right. That's right. So I've got here, it says, and on the seventh day, God finished his work and he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from his work, what he had done in creation. And when you do research on this, you know, the seventh day, the Sunday, I think people have, it's very easy to forget how special that day was through time and how we kind of many ways sort of just take that seventh day for granted now and we're in this kind of rat race would you agree with that oh yeah no there's there are hundreds of books on this topic that's a the concept of sabbath is a very hot topic right now yeah so sabbath is another word for if you hear the word sabbath uh, is like the sunday the, the seventh day i could throw another this is a conversation for another day but uh i have had conversations with people when we were talking about the sixth day and the seventh day and people say, well, there's, there's 24 hours to do this, that, and the other. Da, da. But if you think about it that long ago, just putting a massive curveball in here, there is a conversation of, well, have we got the right to describe how long a day was for God? Oh, yeah. No, we could go for hours we on that. We could go for there's, hours on <laughs> The scripture that says, uh, uh, for God, a day is 10,000 years and 10,000 years is a day. And, you know, so yeah. uh, if we understood the actual mechanics of creation and how long each of those days really were, I, I think we could uh, we could be a lot smarter people. Right. Grab a blanket, people. We're here for the next eight hours. Okay. So <laughs> move, move on to question number two. Okay. What was the first recorded miracle of Jesus? What was the first recorded miracle of Jesus? That would be the turning of the water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana. Yeah, absolutely. And you'll see in uh, John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11, when Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding. And because this was actually like his first public miracle, it's quite often the one that people talk about quite a lot. And I think that it's been spoken about in so many ways that a lot of people kind of throw it away. You know, if, if like you're you haven't yet discovered Christianity or discovered a relationship with Jesus. And I do invite you just to say, Holy Spirit, come in the morning and and at the evening, if you ever need it. You could kind of look at it in a kind of, turned what into what? Turned water into wine? What? what? Because it's very easy to think in a kind of self-centered materialistic kind of way. But when you look at the miracles of just creation, life, the world, and things like that. I don't question it for one moment. Mm-hmm. I don't question it. I, I've got to share something really cool about that passage I just heard recently from a, a, a pretty good Bible scholar. The vessels that were used to fill with water that then Jesus turns into wine, those vessels had one specific purpose in the first century Jewish household, ritualistic baptism. That's what they use those vessels for. Is that right? Ah, uh, yeah. Do do what you will with that, but I think that's a pretty cool little little tidbit. That is a that's a nugget stored for a conversation for another day. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Love that. Love that. Yeah, I haven't I haven't dug into that yet, but I think that's a pretty cool idea. We should have that chat sometime. Okay. Question number three. Two out of two so far. Well done. What were the three temptations that Satan gave to Jesus? What were the three temptations that Satan gave to Jesus? Okay, uh, to quench his hunger by turning stones into bread, to 
essentially test God by casting himself down from the top of the temple so the, the angels would be forced to save him. And that if Christ would essentially bow and pledge allegiance to Satan, he would give him the world. Three out of three, Gabe Wicks. Very, very good indeed. And congratulations, <laughs> you've still got a job at Harper Christian Audio. Oh, wonderful. I thought you were going to hit me with like Levitical laws or minor <laughs> prophets or something and I was going to be in trouble. No, we got so we got uh, Matthew 4 here. The Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days and nights without food, Jesus was hungry. The devil tempted Jesus to turn stones into bread, to which he replied, human beings cannot live on bread alone but need every word God speaks. The second temptation was for Jesus to throw himself from the highest point of the temple and order angels to catch him. Jesus replied, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Finally, the devil offered Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in return for worshipping him. Jesus replied, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Temptation, that's a, a conversation for another day. But I think a lot of people, um, well, we're all guilty of it at some point. I think that's really worth exploring. That's uh, Matthew chapter four. Gabe Wicks, it's been such a pleasure. I mean, time flies whenever I speak to you. I'm really, really grateful for your time. I know you're really busy there. Gabe, would you like to close us down in, in prayer today? And I will join in at the end and just uh, close down Absolutely. the podcast. Absolutely. When you're ready, sir. Father, thank you for the time today. Thank you for this work that Elliot's doing. And we we pray for everyone who is listening, that there may be something that piqued their interest, that there may mm. be something that draws them into you. Mm. For those that uh, that already know you, something that would help them draw near. And we ask, Father, you that you will constantly be perfecting us, constantly making us better, helping us to hold on to the hope that you offer and to take that seriously and let that inform every aspect uh, of our walk with each other and with you as we we try to follow you. And Father, just thank you for for Gabe and all the work that's happening at Harper Christian Publishing, Zondervan, Thomas Nelson, or Imprints, and bless them all and everyone they encounter. Just fulfill it all with the Holy Spirit and bless Gabe's family, Lord, and be with them at all times, which I know you, know you will, and let them just feel you in every step of their waking day. And it says in the scripture, not word for word, but as but as it, I paraphrase that, you know, you can praise God, but when two people say, say the same prayer, it's extremely strong. I just um, just want to say, I agree exactly everything that um, Gabe has said. And I do pray for all of the listeners here that they may feel you and they may take something from this podcast and move forward and just know that you are there with them and you can pass things to them and they can speak to you at any time in any way they feel is right for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Outskirts of Faith podcast. You can email us at podcast at outskirtsoffaithpodcast.com and whether you're seeing us on TikTok or Instagram or YouTube, you are very, very welcome here. And thank you so much for listening and do come back and share with your friends. Take care. You've been listening to the Outskirts of Faith podcast. We would love more people to join our community. So please subscribe, share this podcast and join us on our social media. And of course, you can visit our resource website at outskirtsoffaith.com. This podcast was edited by Chris Byland, the YouTube video editing by Adam Moss, music by Matthew Salvage and hosted by Elliot Frisbee. 
Let's